0: Cast from First Presbyterian Church of Columbia, South Carolina. One A is a podcast designed to take a brief but in-depth look at counseling issues from a pastoral perspective. Reverend Squires is the pastor of counseling here at First Presbyterian Church, and I'm the intern for biblical counseling, Josh Adair. This is the fourth episode on our series on sexuality and sexual temptation. Today, Reverend Squires and I discuss how Scripture speaks to the fruits of a wrong view of sex. If you have any comments about our show or a question about something you hear on this episode, please don't hesitate to contact us. You can find all of our contact info on our website at firstpresscolumbia.org. If you would like to stay updated on when a new episode is released, download our app. You can do so by searching for First Presbyterian Church of Columbia SC in the app store of your choice. We hope this ministry is a blessing to you and those around you. Let's get to the conversation.
1: Josh, well, we're back in another episode talking about sex and sexuality.
0: Yes, we are, and it's good to be back, Josh.
1: Well, thanks for being here. Let's see, so last episode, we talked about the goods of sex, and we said there were four goods of sex, and it was consummation, procreation, love, and pleasure. Yes. So we tried to really build a positive view of sex and sexuality j- just from Scripture's lens.
0: Yeah, and that's because we've been talking about this series where sex is a topic where we can bring so much shame, right. and we want to recover the a faithful scriptural view of it, and we also want to let Scripture exhort us as well to where our views of sex and sexuality can be wrong, or where it can bear, bear uh, awful fruit, honestly, in our right. lives. Right, And so, you know, last episode we talked about that positive view of our sex and sexuality, our understanding of sex and sexuality. This episode, Josh, I thought we could start off with just a framework question. Tell me, how does Scripture address someone who has bought into what we've been defining as a consumerist view of sexuality. How does Scripture, what are some passages, Yep. how does Scripture begin to speak to that wrong view of a consumerist view of sexuality?
1: Yeah, that's great. Actually, there are multiple Scriptures, and you don't have to go too far, even in places like Genesis itself, before you find sex and sexuality being misused. Uh, but really, I want to highlight a, a couple of Scriptures for us, because I think it probably illustrates most clearly sure. what it looks like when we use Scripture or when we use sexuality, whether in, uh, inappropriately. Hmm. So the first one I want to talk about is David and Bathsheba. You know, most people know the story of David and Bathsheba in 2 Samuel 11 just in case there's somebody here who's listening who is unfamiliar. Uh, King David is uh, has ascended uh, the throne and... And he is now uh, should have been should have been going out with the army to to fight in springtime. Sure. Now, that's really important. Anyone, especially if you ask people who've been over in the Middle East, they will tell you why it is that springtime is the time for um, fighting. And it's the time of the year where you don't have to worry about the rain as much, so your logistics are okay. It's not as hot, not as cold. Uh So that is there's just this one window of about two to three months where if you're going to fight, you're going to fight and you're more than likely to come to a decisive decision without the worry about, okay, my people don't have the food that they need or we're going to get rained out or whatever. So was actually a really small window in order to continue the conquest, to rid the land of the pagans, and to secure the borders of the promised land. Sure. And that's what David should be engaged in. Yeah. But instead, he's decided to stay home and to send out the army themselves. Now, he's the king. He could do that, um, and that isn't necessarily a sin on his part, though it was better for him to be engaged in the work of securing the kingdom. So he's home, and he is now seemingly bored. Yeah. And so he goes out and looks at the rooftops. Now, what people don't understand, they think, oh, well, you know, David's just happenstance going to look at the rooftops, and he sees this woman bathing
0: like rah, rah, like yeah Whoops. yeah
1: yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know
0: well you chose to look
1: at the wrong time <laughs> that exa- exactly right but that's not at all what's mm. going on um there's something afoot yeah yeah there is something afoot and so what what happens is in that culture is that they would take these Uh, jars or buckets of water and they would take them up to their roof Mm -hmm. and allow them to sit up on the roof throughout the morning period up until the middle part of the day and that way the water would be warm when you would go to take a bath. sure, And the men are usually out in the field doing their work, or they're, in this case, out at war. Hmm. And the women would go up to the top of the roofs, and then they would bathe themselves. Oh, wow. So what David is doing by going out and looking at the middle of the day is he is basically looking at pornography. Oh, wow. He has decided to go Hmm. and look at women's nudity for his own enjoyment and his own pleasure that's crazy he's being consumeristic right i i I want to go and see and god will rebuke him and when he rebukes him he'll tell him hey look if you want another wife i would have given it to you You want a concubine i would have given it to you yeah which is not to authorize polygamy it's not to authorize um, any sense of having multiple partners the king Mm-hmm. was the only one who really had this right. Uh, we see it sometimes in Scripture if there's been a fertility issue, but by sure. and large this is a king thing. So it's really highlighting, like, David could have had, if, if it was just about sex and sexually a sexual partner, sure. God saying, look, I, I wouldn't have withheld from you if what you wanted was this, right? Mm. But instead of going to the Lord and asking and really wanting sex to be about glorifying the Lord, he wanted it to be about him. Mm. He wanted to get his sexual need fulfilled, and so he went out and he looked, and his heart immediately leapt at this beautiful woman, a woman that was apparently more beautiful than any other woman in Israel. Mm. And that desire to then have that person allowed to flower in his heart, the, the man who is considered to be The man after God's own heart, he is the one for whom the throne in Israel is named, the throne of David. Mm -hmm. He's the man who will write more psalms than anybody else. So he is a highly regarded man of the faith and should be a highly regarded man of the faith. And this one instance of inward-focused sexuality then breeds in him a uh, desire not only to be uh, adulterous, but then mm. the the product of that adultery, which is then pregnancy, then brings about another sin, which is murder, and mm. he will murder uh, Bathsheba's husband. Mm. So an inward focused and consumer sexuality not only does it disorder what God has created, but becomes the fertile bed for all manner of sin to then begin to express itself in our lives. Because we have bought into this idea that what I want, I must get. Mm. That, that's, the, that's the root of that whole thing is that David thinks, and this is, again, God's rebuke. If you had come to me, I would have given. And David thinks, there's something I want. It's that thing right there. I need to go
0: take it. Yeah,
1: It's up to me to get
0: it. Some might listen to that, Josh, and they might be tempted to think, oh, we're just psychologizing David's desires into the text. But, I mean, you point out really clearly the context of, of, of culture that he was in in that moment. Right. And then also it's... The other really important piece of context that the Lord who himself knows the heart of his true king right. is the Lord is telling him, look, you desired the wrong thing. That's right. And so we can actually look from Scripture, we can see that that was something that was significantly at play. Right. I do want to ask, do you think that David would have brought up... a uh, when we say David was essentially going to look at pornography, was there anything necessarily that would have been, in his mind, I'm going to go look at something pornographic right now, or are you just saying that there was an intent, a lustful intent behind him going up there because of cultural context and also the reality of what he knew he would see on that day?
1: Yeah, I think that there was a genuine, and I, and I think the biblical writer is actually trying to point this out that sure. he should have been out fighting, he should have been where the men were. Mm-hmm. Instead, he was at home. He wasn't engaged. He was bored, which is where oftentimes, uh, especially men's uh, temptations, this temptation for men—they feel bored and alone—comes mm-hmm. uh, to to its height. And so David is experiencing something like that. Sure. And so it, you know, there's nothing new under the sun. Sure. And and David and young men now, as they think, wow, I'm really bored and I'm really alone, yeah. let me go online and sure. look at women's bodies because it has mm. this neurobiological effect and it feeds my sinful desire. Mm-hmm. David understands that. And David is doing virtually the same thing. Yes. there. It doesn't mean that every rooftop would have been full of... of Naked women. Sure. But he was almost guaranteed to see some naked women Hmm. when he chose to look out during the noonday and see it.
0: So it's the idea of like, even if the content of what he was looking at was not necessarily presented in that fashion even. Right. It's his heart behind it that goes into it because it's the it's the heart that contains the desire Yeah, that is what ultimately flowers into lust and ultimately all of these other sins that you're outlining, Right, right. that's that's terrifying. Yes. And so okay. where are we going to go with that next? Sorry, okay. I wanted no, no. To, to ask those questions. No, no, no. no. So, so
1: I just think that that's a really clear insight into individual consumeristic view yes. of sex. That's right. Which is what are society today struggles with.
0: Absolutely. Is
1: that your sex is your appetite, that you have the power and almost duty to get fulfilled Mm. whenever it tells you it needs it. Almost like a physical appetite where when you feel hungry, it is your duty and responsibility to go have that fulfilled. Um, And so here is David saying... I have this desire, I have this appetite, I'm going to go on my own, not go to the Lord, not pray about it, mm. not think about sex and sexuality as something that he can provide or should shepherd, but as an individual desire that he wants, and I'm going to go and take it.
0: Yeah, and there's the context, too, in the fact that he is the king. Right. There's nothing he should have to deny himself because it's his own kingdom. And right. so it's it's just this idea of that individualistic I'm, I, there's nothing I should not have that plays right. into it that can be very harmful. Yeah. And at, at one point, I mean, even I don't know if. Where are you going to go after this? Are you going to yeah, go ahead with David's own sin? It's it's what leads to the very destruction of the thing that gives him his basis of saying, "I am, I'm the king. Yeah. I should deserve this. This right. is mine, right? Yeah." And so it, it just shows you, too, how that individualistic mindset also destroys any institution that supports your ability to even say that. Right, right. And so the other thing is, is that it shows you, like, if David had the ability
1: to marry mm. any available woman that he wanted to, sure. to have concubines, so they did not produce legitimate heirs to the throne. But they were women that were used in a sensual way. Mm -hmm. Um, And and again, the Lord is not authorizing concubinage. So it's not like, oh, well, now we can all go, you know, that's not what he's saying. It was expected during that day that well-regarded kings would do this. In fact, part of Samuel's warning to the people as they asked for a king was this is what he's going to do. Because look around, that's what other kings do. Sure. So so it's, it's a special thing. But... So here's David who could have gotten a wife, he could have gotten a concubine, he mm. could have had his sexual needs met, because uh, some people will sometimes say, well, it's it the the whole issue is that I only have one option. Hmm. The Bible is telling me that my only option for my sexual needs is through a spouse, hmm. and I'm someone who needs more options, hmm. and therefore... It's up to me to go and get it. No, no, no. Here's David who could have had as many options as he wanted. Yeah. But the problem was is that he didn't seek it righteously, even in that. He sought it by by his own self, by by being selfish. Mm. And that's what our sin does. Mm. That's the, the whisper from Satan in the middle of all of this is you need to go have your own desires fulfilled. It's up to you. Don't trust the Lord. You cannot trust the Lord with your most intimate desires. Mm. He will be a withholding God. Yeah, and that's never what we see
0: in Scripture. Mm. Mm. That's terrifying. So, if the most, if, if the, if the, the good, true King of Israel can do it, it's in our hearts.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. yeah yeah there's uh was it um Robert Murray McShane who said there is no sin that doesn't live inside my own heart mm.
0: right and uh, that makes me think of proverbs 7 which is basically a, a discussion of of uh the author of proverbs with his son saying like yep. don't go after the sinful woman i saw i saw a dude walking down the street past the past the house of the of the prostitute the place that he knew was wrong he he passed by the the alley that led to her doorway and yeah. all of a sudden oh no she's come upon him but he went to the wrong place to begin with yeah right. <laughs> and and the most haunting verse from that passage is like an ox is led to the slaughter yeah so he goes down to his death yeah. essentially that's my translation of <laughs> it <I'm actually laughs> right, right, it's yeah, not yeah. word for word but yeah that shows you you have no idea the destruction that this breeds right. and like David, it destroyed his life, and so that's what Scripture's warning us. Even in this uh, king, in this moment, that's right. And where else does it warn us like this, Josh?
1: Okay, so another place that we'd want to look at is First Corinthians, and especially First Corinthians five, First uh, mm. Corinthians five, nine through thirteen. Here. Paul is warning the Corinthians against uh, a man who is uh, engaged in some sort of sexual immorality that he says not even the pagans would uh, allow, which is basically Mm. he's having sex with his father's wife. Mm. Um, And he says a couple of interesting things here. First off, he says, I didn't tell you to break fellowship with... The sexually immoral, because if I did, I would tell you that you would have to remove yourself from the world. Hmm. Right. Okay. So pause there for a second. Hmm. Paul is saying two things one, that we cannot as a church remove ourselves from the environment in which sexual immorality flourishes. Because to do so would to remove yourself from the world. And we're not to hide our light under a basket. We're to be a light to the world. We are Christians who are in the world. Um, So we need to be prepared to be those who are sexually faithful, who have the goods of sex in mind, because we're going to end up around people who have no care for that view of sex and sexuality, who only have a view for sex and sexuality that is selfish and consumeristic.
0: And honestly, when you consider the high priestly prayer of Jesus in John 17, it would have been the perfect opportunity for Jesus to pray, Heavenly Father, take those who believe in my name on account of the disciples' word out of the world so they don't have to endure this. But actually, he prays, they're going to be in the world, keep them in the truth, sanctify them in your word, and your word is truth. And so. Right. Sort of, sort of connected via yeah. induction, I guess you could say. Right, right.
1: Jesus tells the people, "You are going to have to face this sort of temptation, and this is the way that you are the light in the world." Right. Mm. Amen. So Paul doesn't say remove yourself from the environment of sexual temptation. However, this man who is sexually immoral and calls himself a brother. Mm. So, so, so there's the key. He actually calls himself a Christian and is engaged openly in this sexual immorality, Paul says, remove him from fellowship with you. Mm-hmm. That is huge. Yes. I, Paul doesn't say that anywhere else. Mm-hmm. This, is, this is the one place we go to to study what excommunication really looks like. Mm. Um, and it's because of the sin of sexual immorality. It, it is so endemic to us as people, it is so tempting to us hmm. as humans that if we allow it to flourish in our midst, it will easily corrupt us it 's like the um, yeast hmm. or the the leaven in the in the bread uh, and so paul says don't remove yourself from the world where is that there is that consumeristic mindset, and yet if there is one in you that is displaying an unrepentant view of sexuality that looks like that, you are to forcibly remove them mm. so they do not corrupt the witness and tempt the the
0: people inside the church to do similarly. Mm. Mm. That is terrifying. Once yeah. again, this is, this is the weight with which Scripture speaks to it. It's the weight that Gabe pleaded with us from the pulpit two Sundays ago right. of Jesus is warning us. When you ask someone, what could convince them to replace the hours of aggregate pleasure you could receive from this area of life for eternal bliss in the presence of our Savior. Right. Jesus is warning you and putting his finger on this and saying, friends, this is the thing. Right. This is the thing. Yeah. <laughs> and God's Word does the same here through Paul. Right. So he's saying, in one sense, it's not, it's not that Paul is saying, we're better than this guy, put him out. Right. He's saying, look, this is so destructive. That's right. It will consume us all. That's right. That's right. It it will cause
1: destruction inside the witness of the church, first of all. And so so as we try to witness to one another about the fact that we are Christ's, it will cause temptation inside internally to the church. And then externally it will damage our witness. Absolutely. As we try to be a light on a hill. But if, we, or if we're a light on a hill and we accept, allow, even encourage this sort of darkness. Where is our light? How are we going to be able to speak into uh, the rest of this culture, Mm. right? So first and foremost, hey, uh, you're going to be tempted, as David is, to Mm. listen to that appetite and to fulfill it. All humans are. Secondly, uh, you can't get away from the temptation in the environment. Thirdly, if you're somebody who is engaging in this unrepentantly, Mm. right this is an unrepentant engaging in this yes and we'll come back to that here in a second um then you need to put them out from the fellowship because it's that dangerous
0: and again we say when we say unrepentant we mean no change in their behavior the continuous walking the, the sort of idea of they know this is wrong they are not willing to change their behavior their thinking because they just don't think it's something they should do.
1: Right. They're either unconvinced that it's Mm -hmm. dangerous, they're unconvinced that it is immoral, Uh, they're unconvinced that it matters all that much, they're Mm -hmm. unconvinced they could be happy without it, which Mm -hmm. is oftentimes uh, the case. And so repentance is the... Um, walking away from the turning away from sin and walking towards righteousness. That's the kind of the key of what repentance is. Absolutely. And so if people are unrepentant in sexual immorality, they're walking towards sexual immorality, they're not walking away from it, you've got to put them out, right?
0: Mm. Yes, that's the hard part. Yeah.
1: So, So those two pieces of Scripture really speak to the individual. Uh, the second one begins to speak to more of the church. But then... Um, want to talk more about the covenant community Sure. and
0: what does sex and sexuality say about the covenant community. Well, Josh, that's a great overview and probably a great place to stop for the sake of time in this episode. So we've talked about what are the fruits of our poor view of sex from a scriptural lens on the individual side of it. Please join us again next time for how scripture speaks to the fruits of a poor view of sex As it relates to the covenant community, we're going to talk about the term, what that even means, and also then how does Scripture actually view how something like a poor view of sex bears fruit within the community of God's people. So we hope that you join us again next time, but until then, God bless.